Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's Tuesday, April 2nd, 2019, and you know what that means. It's time to get nerdy, y'all. Welcome to episode number 98 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy, and I've got my comrade in gaming commentary here with me, the miggity 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 Mac, also known as Maction. Mac, how are things, man? What's good? Things are good. I had some most some of the most exciting adventures over the weekend. No way. Um, what were they? Uh, well, um, so okay, uh, they were Dungeons and Dragons related. So, uh, arguably, they weren't actually real adventures, but I consider them to be worthwhile. I was gonna uh, say, uh, were they digital or were they IRL? Were they in real life? IRL. So, uh, for the past little while, I've actually had uh, two different Dungeons and Dragons groups, one on Saturdays and one on Monday. Uh, the Monday one, I'm a player, and it's set a sort of Old West steampunk, you know, style of thing. Uh, the Saturday one, I run that game, and it's uh, and it's a classic fantasy thing. The cool part about the Saturday group is that it's all their first time ever playing a tabletop RPG. So I'm their, I'm their introduction to tabletop RPGs, and I think I do a pretty reasonable job. We have, have a fun time. Um, although, uh, although Saturdays was fine, uh, you know, it was great. Uh, but Mondays was particularly fun because one of the group was actually moving away. So uh, he will be joining us digitally through, you know, uh, through calling in um, from now on. But in honor of his last day with us, we all dressed up as our characters. Um for this special last hurrah episode. Of so how are, you, how are you, that's awesome. How are you going to do it going forward over Twitch, over uh, like just uh, streaming it? What are you going to do? Um, so it, uh, streaming a tabletop RPG is a little bit rough uh, because for starters, you would need everybody to agree to that. And most of the people, both in the newbie group as well as in this Monday group, they're kind of shy and they don't really want themselves out on the internet. Oh, okay. Um, Although the guy who runs the Monday group, he said he would probably be maybe doing a something with the stuff after the game's all complete. I'm not exactly sure what he means by that, but he said something. And anyway, um, but he'll just be calling in, you know, uh, through probably Discord or something like that in order to, you know, in order to keep playing because he's moving to Washington State. So he won't be, you know, uh, but... It's a beautiful part of the country. I might say it's the best Mm -hmm. part of the country. You would. Um, (laughs) I grew up there, for those uh, who didn't know. Yeah, so he's over in Kirkland. Kirkland. That's pretty dang close to where I grew up. That's awesome. Yeah, you. Uh, I mean, you guys probably played each other at uh, at conventions. Uh, you know, probably Smash. He's a big Smash guy. Is he play Super Smash Brothers? That's awesome. Yeah, he did back in the day too. I think he said something about going to the first packs. You're you're kidding. You're exaggerating, right? No, no. I'm I'm because I've said on the that level. I was there many times, Max. So I know you're. Oh making, yeah, no, you're I know. This but he right never. Now. No, he never said that he played Smash at the first packs. He did tell me once that he went to the first packs. So I'm saying you guys probably passed like like ships in the night. Yeah, possibly, possibly. But, uh, but anyway, yeah, he'll uh, he'll keep playing. But it was really fun for everybody to be dressed up as their characters, and uh, you know, just just enjoyable. Um, 
I, and and I've always uh, most of them they don't do accents for their characters, but I do do an accent for my character. So uh, so being accented, a- accenting and dressing up to the nines, uh, complete with real revolver, FYI, nice. Um, was just you know it was just real fun. Uh, unloaded, of course, because I'm not irresponsible. But you know. well, hey man, there's nothing irresponsible about having a loaded gun as long as you're responsible with it. But we're not here to talk about that. Um, what else, Mac? Anything else you wanted to share with the people? Uh, you know, honestly, that was kind of the highlight of this weekend. Dude, that's cool, man. Ah, oh, this weekend, what did I do? What did I do? Um, I did. <laughs> it's funny, as you get old, I'm not that old. I'm in my 30s, though. Um, I'm like, you know what I did this weekend? I smoked some meat. But I tell you guys about that every single week, so I'm not going to talk about that. Today, I will say, I took some time off work to spend with the family. Uh, and I hit the gym, Mac, which is something I've been trying to do more and more of. It, you know what? It's just a good feeling. Like, you put on a podcast, you know, you, you pop it, your headphones in, you get going, and the time just flies. You know, as long as you have something interesting to listen to, got up a good sweat, burned some calories, had a good time, man. Um, yesterday, did an open mic as usual, um, working on new jokes, man. You know what I found as I've, I've hit the decade mark in stand-up comedy? I, uh, the more and more I do it, the more and more my act evolves. So, you know, in the past, I've always kept it pretty tame because I'm a pretty tame guy. Um, but now, like, I'm really getting more into stuff that I'm passionate about, you know, not necessarily political stuff, but just talking about stuff that means something to me. And it's, uh, it's been a really, really good feeling. So do, do, do I mean something to you? Do I ever feature in, in, you're a good friend, Mac. You're one of my best friends, man, even though we never see each other in person, but no, you don't make your way into my jokes. Not at all. Oh, am I not funny enough? You're not funny, Mac. Now I'm not, man. You know what? You're a well-adjusted human being. Sometimes human beings that are not well-adjusted definitely make it into my material. Uh, But we won't get into that. Mac, we're six minutes in. I say we do what we do best and hop right into the gaming news, my friend. What do you think? Absolutely. Mac, this is episode 98 of Two Nerds in a Pod. Wait, wait. Does that mean we're 98% of the way to 100? It does, man. It means we're 98% of the way to 100, ladies and gentlemen. Nerdiest Mind gaming podcast blown. in the galaxy. Dude, two more episodes and we'll be there. We got to talk about what we're going to do for the big one double zero. It's got to be something awesome. Well, anyway, this gaming news, this first news story comes from Game Informer, uh, and it deals with the Nintendo Switch. Uh, and it talks about the new games. It says, starting April 10th, the catalog of NES games available as part of Nintendo Switch Online will reach 38. Three new games are joining the service that day. Super Mario Brothers: The Lost Levels, Punch-Out! featuring Mr. Dream, and Star Soldier. Now, interesting, Mac, that they're not putting Mike Tyson's Punch-Out! on there. Uh, they're putting Punch-Out! featuring Mr. Dream, which I believe was the version that was released after Mike Tyson went to jail. I could be wrong about that. I could be totally off. I think you're right about that. But anyway, it says the new entries are solid inclusions, especially for anyone who has never played through the tough-as-nails lost levels or ground their teeth into stumps trying to beat Mike Tyson. Sorry, I mean Mr. Dream. (laughs) The the author even makes reference to it. Uh, Beyond Nintendo's heavy hitters is Star Soldier, a vertical scrolling shooter akin to Twin B or 1942. After the recent edition of Super Mario Bros. 2 in February, the lost levels will round out the list of NES Mario games on that platform. Um, Mac, there's like, I think if I remember correctly, there's over 800 NES games. Because I remember I went through that phase. Remember when we were living near each other and I was going to different thrift stores and I was trying to collect all the NES games and I quickly gave up? Um, Because all the games that you're going to see in a thrift store are the same 10 games, right? 
Do you think that Nintendo's actually going to get the whole NES library on here? No. Never. Not in a million years. Um, if there weren't even issues with uh, with licensing, because they're going to have to, any company that is still holding on to the, uh, you know, to, to stuff, they're not going to be able to license some of those titles for, uh, for uh, release onto the system. Uh, and, of course, anything that wasn't really well-loved is going to be far down on the list for them to actually put any work into. Uh, if they do their, if they do in fact do three NES games per month, it'll take. It would take a long what time. What is it? Twenty something odd years. It would take a long in time in order for them to get that. And I mean, yeah. So it's it's never going to happen. There will never be available from uh, from Nintendo of America or Nintendo of Japan the entire library of. NES games in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, and I, I agree with you. I think that eventually they'll shift to Super Nintendo. Uh, they'll start putting those games on there, and fingers crossed, they'll find a way to make N64 games get on there too. Uh, wouldn't work well with the existing controller, but where there's a will, there's a way. Next news story. Mac, these rumors of next-gen consoles are heating up, man. This comes from GameSpot as well. Uh, it says, new consoles from Microsoft and Sony might be coming soon. Retailer GameStop said today on an earnings call that it expects new hardware sales to slow down in 2019 on account of people hearing about new consoles and waiting for them to arrive. Quote, we expect, we respect, excuse me, I can't read today, with respect <laughs> to new hardware. As we get closer to the end of the current console cycle for Xbox and PlayStation, we expect demand to decline as some customers choose to wait on the sidelines in anticipation of acquiring the next generation of innovative consoles, CFO Rob Lloyd said. Um, I don't know, man. What do you think, Mac? 2020? The original, con or not the original, this gen of consoles really started in 2014. That's six years. Um, we're still waiting on The Last of Us Part Two, which has been announced. We're waiting on a new Halo that has kind of been announced. What do you think, man? Do you think they do it 2020 and just push those to the next gen? I mean, it would make sense in a certain way, but I honestly don't know. Um, I'm nowhere near as plugged into the console landscape as you are. I. What do you think, Mr. Yeah, my, you know, my thing is it's there's such a huge install base already. And so they, with The Last of Us, the first one, they released it right at the end of the generation, and that was a brilliant, brilliant idea. It probably resulted in them selling quite a few more PlayStation 3s, you know, at the end of the generation. Then the PlayStation 4 came out, and they knew that a lot of people maybe hadn't had a PS3 like myself and hadn't played The Last of Us, even though I had found a way to play it, borrowing a friend's. Uh, and they re-released it remastered for the PS4 so that all those people who missed it could play it. So... Maybe they do a similar thing this gen. Uh, with Halo, I, I feel like it's it's a one-and-done thing. They need to either release it... They need to release it on one console or the other. And I can't see Microsoft releasing Halo Infinite on the current console, man. Because it's done so poorly. I feel like they got to push that to, to the next Xbox. Xbox... Two or whatever they end up calling it. So we will see so, what happens. Uh, we will see if these rumors question, are true. Question, Mr. Nice yeah. Guy. Just because I'm not read into it, um, what is the situation with the like, like the refreshes? You know, like the PS4, and then there's the PS4 Pro. Is the PS4 Pro a different gen, or is it considered to be the same as the PS4 gen? Yeah, it's the same as the PS4. The interface, the operation system is quicker. Uh, it mm -hmm. runs a lot more smoothly. Additionally, it supports 4K. 
So they had the PS4, then they had the PS4 Slim, which was kind of a uh, like a, a half step up, right? And then they had the okay. PS4 Pro, which was a 4K, you know, higher, stronger processor type of system. So I guess what really determines whether or not it's the same gen is if the same games work on it. That's exactly right. And I would yeah. consider all of those to be the same gen. Absolutely. Okay. Same games. Okay. Exactly. Just, just curious. No, just curious. it's a great question, man. Now, Mac, here's a story that may get you a little bit excited. Because uh, it's, it's a game that I know you like. This is on GameSpot as well. I should read the author's name. This is by Jeremy Winslow. It says, fans of the Borderlands series can rest easy as developer Gearbox announced Borderlands 3 during its PAX East panel last week. Also during the panel, Gearbox confirmed the remaster of Borderlands Game of the Year edition. The release date for the remastered Borderlands Game of the Year is nearly here. Here's exactly when it unlocks and Mac, how to get it for free on PC. Now, do you already have Borderlands on your PC? I believe you do, right? I think you told me once you had picked I it up. I do, yes. I've got Borderlands 1 and Borderlands 2. For some weird reason, Borderlands 2 always seems to crash my computer. Interesting. Yeah, nothing else does, but Borderlands 2 just crashes things. But yeah, Borderlands 1, have it on my PC. Well, to summarize, it basically says if you have Borderlands 1 Game of the Year, you can basically just update to this for free. Which, I don't know, man. Did you play through those games? I know Borderlands 2, obviously not, because it crashed your PC, you just said. But Borderlands 1, was it your thing? It's a co-op shooter. Uh, So it's kind of like half your thing, right? It's true. I actually quite liked, uh, I quite enjoyed Borderlands 2. Uh, the, um, I, the first one or the second or one? Sorry, sorry, the, the first one. Um, what I thought was very interesting about it um, uh, was that it had uh, a great sense of humor, I felt like. Sure. And uh, right when we hit, uh, what what was his name? Is uh, Nine Toes? It's been I so long I can't the... even remember, to be honest. Well, well there was this uh, there was this guy there was this enemy um, and he you know and I think his name was was nine toes or something anyway the humor surrounding that fight I just you know I I think I died the first time pretty quickly because I was laughing so hard uh, but I felt like borderlands did not keep up the same level of humor throughout the whole game uh, but it still was reasonably comical so I, I really liked it but I felt a little bit let down that the level of humor throughout the game never again reached that uh, reached that moment. Uh, but that's just. But uh, apart from that, I really I did enjoy the original Borderlands. And I, you know, I felt like the graphics were charming. I remember the first time I ever saw a cell shaded game. I thought it looked absolutely ridiculous. In fact, I think we may have talked about this last week with Wind Waker. Um, mm-hmm. It's a, it's almost a different type of shell cell shading than Wind Waker. Um, but it is cell shading, nevertheless. Um, it's 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 one of those games, Mac. I feel like it's a hangout game. Like you can play it with your friends, and you do have to be engaged. But it's one of those games that's just more fun based on who you're playing it with. And I don't know if you you got into it years after, so I don't know if you played it with people or if you did it solo. Um, but I have good memories of partying up with people on Xbox 360, just messing around, shooting stuff, you know, grinding, just just having a good time. And part of me wants to get that feeling again. But the reality is there's too many other games right now. There's no way I'm going to buy uh, a 10-year-old remaster, however old it is. But I think it's cool that Borderlands 3 is coming out. I may get into that at some point. So moving on, Mac, to your favorite gaming franchise of all time. Let's talk about... Black Ops 4. 
Oh, yeah. My, 360 no scope, baby. That's right, man. 360 no scope. Uh, Call of Duty Black Ops 4's new Blackout Alcatraz map has launched on the PS4. Alcatraz is expected to release on Xbox One and PC at a later date this month. For the entire month of April, you can play on either Blackout's either of Blackout's multiplayer maps for free, ladies and gentlemen. Alcatraz is only live on PS4 right now, though. However, free access to Blackout is live on Xbox One, PC, and PS4. Uh, what else does it say? It says, uh, the Alcatraz map is basically more of an Apex Legends-style game where you have the ability to respawn. Um, for those of you who are into this type of thing, please check out my Twitch channel, MrNiceGuy425. I never was into streaming Call of Duty Mac until the past few weeks, and I've really gotten into streaming like Modern Warfare Remastered, Black Ops 3, and I'll probably stream some of this. And I know you've Be been careful. tuning You're in, so don't shake your head. Road, don't Mr. shake nice your guy. head, Mac. I know I'm becoming is- a bro gamer, but I'm having fun. That's what matters, man, and I'm not even really good at them. I'm very average. Look, but do you have your gamer glasses yet? I do not. I need to get some. What do they do? They reduce no. the glare? Yeah, they filter out some of the blue light. It actually does legit make it more comfortable for long periods of time staring at computer screens. Dude, that's awesome. Now, it will, they work with prescription glasses. I'll just have to put uh, them yeah, on over the top. You can, have, uh, you can have prescriptions made with the tint. Dude, with the that's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. And we're not sponsored by whatever company that is. That's just uh, Mac talking about cool stuff that he has. Well, cool, Mac. Uh, let me see what other news stories we got. I'm trying to figure out... Let's talk about this. Let's talk about Sony Network changing their refund policy, Matt, because this this kind of relates to the digital only future that we've been talking about, that recurring theme that may that we've we've talked about in the past few episodes. This is on Game Informer, and it is written by Imran Khan. It says digital store refund policies have long been a source of frustration for consumers. Sometimes you pre-order a game, find out it's not exactly what you're hoping for before release, but can't get a refund for it. Or a game hard crashes your PlayStation 4 to the point where the hard drive has to rebuild when you restart it, and you have to convince someone over the phone that this is worthy of a refund. Well, that's all in the past now, as Sony has revised their PSN refund policies for at least two these two cases. According to Sony's new refund policy, A pre-order can be refunded before release as long as the user hasn't started streaming or downloading it. If it's unclear if this also means preloads, oh, it says it is unclear if this also means preloads, but it's easy to presume that it does. The exception to the rule is that consumers, customers, can also refund purchases in the case of faulty games up to 14 days after purchase or pre-order date. It's vague, but it's definitely an improvement. Um, Mac, what do you think about this, man? Do you, do you, I know you buy digital stuff on Steam. Do you ever have that experience where you buy a game and it has issues? Borderlands 2, for example, you just talked about that. Or you buy a game and realize before release is not what you wanted. Um, I have only gotten a refund for a digital game, on PC at least, probably once. Now, back in the day when I was actively doing, uh, actively doing YouTube work and stuff related to, uh, uh, you know, Android games. I actually had a whole segment that was based uh, primarily around, you know, whether or not I hit the refund button. It was a pass-fail test of, of video games, paid games only, of course, naturally. So uh, so I'm no stranger to getting a refund for a game that I didn't particularly enjoy. But on PC, I think I've only refunded maybe one or two uh, through Steam, and... It was relatively quickly after I purchased them. Uh, the problem I ran into, like, I would have returned uh, Borderlands 2, I think, uh, but I purchased it, 
and then it came as you know I purchased it as a bundle yeah, to yeah. get you know this and then uh, I didn't even try playing Borderlands 2 until quite a long time after I had uh, after I had played through Borderlands 1 so I didn't even bother checking to see if it could be refunded see and that's a good point because I don't think that the only people who want to refund games are people who pre-order them sometimes people buy a game and then realize within like two days like oh this isn't what I thought it was going to be um, now I don't know if in that case they should be allowed to refund it because there's transaction costs with, with games once you've already downloaded them and purchased them and then they have to be refunded. Um, but I don't know, man. I like this. And I think that where more and more developers, and not developers, but more and more um, companies like Sony and Microsoft and Steam are offering digital options and streaming options, we they have to operate in the same way that brick-and-mortar stores do. They have to offer some type of option to refund games. Now, we all know GameStop has, you know, if you buy a used game, you have seven days to return it. Sometimes I'm sure that people abuse that, but it still makes it possible for people to return a game that's faulty, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think that this is the same type of thing, and I'm glad that they made this move. So, Mac, that has been our news for the week. Over to you, buddy. All right. Well, now that we've looked at the landscape of games around us right now, let's take a look into the past and ask ourselves, what came out last week, this last week, in video game history, and we have some fantastic ones for you. I'm going to hit two games that <clears throat> I think were very notable just because they launches of great franchise, and one that's notable for a completely different reason, but arguably an incredibly important reason. So, uh, for starters, in 1996, this last week, we saw the release of Resident Evil 1 for the PlayStation 1 here in these, the United States of America, as well as, uh, as well as, uh, North America and I believe, uh, Europe as well. Um, Resident Evil 1, the beginning of a franchise, of course, known in Japan as Biohazard, but of course we talk about American release dates here. But, uh, but yeah, Resident Evil 1, um, I actually have quite a bit of love for the Resident Evil franchise, especially once we hit Resident Evil 4. 4 and 5 are really my jam. I loved when they transitioned away from, uh, from survival horror and into survival action, or sorry, action horror, I mean. Uh, that's really where my jam is. Uh, in 1998, we saw the release of StarCraft 1 for the PC. Um, naturally, it was many years later that we would see uh, that we would see uh, additional StarCraft games, but uh, StarCraft is still has still held reasonable popularity among the competitive scenes, and uh, yeah, it was it, it, StarCraft was very fun. Um, I don't know if StarCraft was much your thing, was it, Mister Nice Guy? No, man, I was really into Warcraft, uh, like Warcraft Three. And, you know, it was cool in the college dorms where I went to school, um, Mm -hmm. they had like this network within the dorms. So you could like literally plug your computer into the wall and then everyone could just play. It was pretty sweet. So we got a lot of a lot of hours playing Warcraft three just over the local network. I had some friends that tried to get me into Starcraft and I played it a little bit, but I just couldn't get into it as much. Well, you know me, Mr. Nasky. I've always been a fan, you know, Star Trek, Stargate, uh, Farscape. So, StarCraft, I mean, just a natural evolution of my sci-fi inclinations. So, so StarCraft, really great. I played a lot of StarCraft back in the day. Um, well, all right, so the last game I want to talk about uh, was released in 2002 for the Xbox. 
There's a little game called 007 Agent Under Fire. Nice. And the game itself, I mean, did you play that game by chance? I did, and I'll give you my thoughts after you kind of give a description. Oh, oh no, please. I, I want to I wanna get your, your, your take on it. Well, did you I, like it? Did I, you not like well, it? Well, no, here's the thing, man. I feel like I played it very briefly, and I feel like mm-hmm. when GoldenEye 007 came out, mm-hmm. it was for the, they, Nintendo, 64. For the Nintendo 64, they, they caught lightning in a bottle. And oh, I, yeah, it was Groundberry. It, it was. It was fantastic. And I feel like every GoldenEye, excuse me, every 007 game that came out after that was trying to recreate that type of magic, and they just couldn't do it. And so that was my thought on, on the next ones in, this, in the franchise. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, by all accounts, 007 Agent Under Fire is unremarkable. It is not an especially good game. It doesn't have any particularly great mechanics, but it is quite possibly one of the most important games released for the original Xbox. Now, you're probably saying, Mac, that's crazy talk. What are you saying? It can't possibly a bad game being most important. It's most important because 007 Agent Under Fire was the game used to soft mod and break the protections around the original Xbox. It's what put Xbox modding within the hands of most people. And it is, uh, and there are some fantastic uh, whole videos talking about, on YouTube, whole videos talking about how exactly it was done. But the short version, the TLDR version of this, is that 007, through its uh, save function, um, ran an exploit where it asked the game, when you loaded it up, to run a special font on the you know that that was saved on the memory card now this was kind of a big deal because everything for the original xbox had to have digital signatures by microsoft themselves in order to be run that was their way of trying to make sure that you couldn't tinker with the code or or mod the the console or anything like that but this uh sent it to a look for a font that was stored on the memory card but that was not signed by microsoft and uh, so what people would do is they basically took that font file that 007, you know, made it, uh, made it run, and they replaced it with, uh, with basically Linux so that you would uh, open up, you'd put in the disk for 007 Agent Under Fire, and then it would go to play this file that wound up running Linux, and then it just blew the system wide open. So 007 Agent Fi- uh, 007 Agent Under Fire, a game that is uh you know that is unremarkable but uh but actually blew the doors wide open for my soft modded Xbox, for the emulators, for being able to run and play DVDs without the uh without the you know needing to buy the remote and dongle. Uh for being able to burn games straight onto the hard drive. Uh, expanding, putting in larger hard drives, so many wonderful things. Uh, it basically turned the Xbox from a you know battened down console into a easily modifiable small uh, computer, and and this has far reaching implications. We still to this day have the uh, Xbox Media Center that was uh, that was built for the original Xbox that is still to this day code that is being run and available for use on different platforms. You can have a whole computer run off of Xbox Media Center. Dude, I've and seen, I know many I've people, seen do. people run arcade machines off Xbox. Oh yeah, I've got some I've got a few arcade things. It it's just the emulation, the processor, the Xbox 
it just blew it wide open, made it easily modifiable. And, uh, and yeah, who would have thought it would have come down to an unremarkable game trying to ride the coattails of a more successful title and a font. So there's just a little bit of video game history for you today. Fantastic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, let's move on to our next segment, uh, a segment we like to call the topic of the week, where we talk about something that's relevant in gaming and give our opinions on it. Now, Mac, this one's a little bit different. I think I say that almost every week. Um, this one's on GameInformer.com. I'll read a little bit of it. It says, going on to Reddit for video game discussion. By the way, this is by Imran Khan again is the author. It says, going on to Reddit for video game discussion can vary greatly depending on what specific subreddit, but r slash games has always prided itself on its reputation for more serious conversation. To hear its users describe the subreddit, it is for actual dialogue on news and the actual games itself, as opposed to memes and images related to video games. Today, however, and by the way, this was written yesterday, April 1st, today, however, the moderators of r slash games have decided to use the attention from an expectant audience anticipating an April Fool's joke to send a message about and to the gaming community. Quote, This April Fool's, we decided to take things a little more seriously and shed some light on a growing pervasive issue that has affected the community of r slash games and gaming communities as a whole. The post begins after disclaiming that this isn't an April Fool's joke. In recent times, it's come to our attention that what has been intended to be a forum for the potential spread of knowledge and involvement in video games has instead become a battleground of conflicting ideas. Ordinarily, this isn't an issue. Discussion, by its very nature, is certain to bring argument. But when that argument descends into vitriol, vitriolic attacks between individuals on a regular basis with no chance of de-escalation, that's when, put simply, something's got to give. So, Mac, I'm going to summarize. Basically, r slash gaming was shut down yesterday on Reddit. And their their goal was to draw attention to and to protest toxicity and bigotry in the community. Oh, hang on. I think Not I just on Reddit, but in the gaming community there, in general. Um, I know you don't do a lot of online gaming, but I know that you're online. Um And I think I may have unplugged. Can you still hear me, Mac? You are back for me. Okay, yes. cool. Um, I know, and I think that the stream is restarting as well, which is cool. It should reconnect in just a second. Uh, do you, would you say in this day and age, you know, obviously we're not going to compare now to times that are pre-internet because that would be apples and oranges, right? That would make yeah. no sense. But would you say that as time has gone on that you've seen more toxicity and bigotry or do you think it stayed the same? In, in the gaming community. Uh, you know, it's really, it's really tough to say. Um, but... Well, let me put it like I, this, man. Go ahead. Were you Finish what you were going to say. So, I, I feel like one of the things is that I myself feel like nowadays I am more broadly minded. Um than I was back in the day. What do you what do you mean by that? Um I have through internet through gaming, I have made friends in different countries. I have made friends in different areas and uh heard and seen points of view that I would not have been exposed to before. So uh for me, I feel like I have less um I feel like I'm I feel like I'm more welcoming of other people now than I would have been pre-internet right so at the same time the pro I think the problem is that there's 
maybe less toxicity now than there was, but that now the toxicity is just more widespread in the sense that people, you know, in the sense that people just have more platforms to spew their vitriol. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, I, I, I kind of have some strong opinions on this type of protest. Please. And I think it's good that they're bringing attention to it and saying, hey, let's shut down for a day and, and you know, do it with a, a reason, which is to say, hey, we don't like this toxicity. We don't like this bigotry that we're seeing here on the Internet. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know if that's how I would go about it. I don't know if shutting down for a day does as much as, I don't know, donating to some type of foundation that, you know, promotes positive internet behavior or something like that. You know, I think money talks and, and I don't know if shutting down for a day really does a lot because I feel like that type of thing is quickly forgotten. Um, but doing something that's permanent and that can bring about change in my opinion is really the way to go about this. So I'm actually going to disagree with you. Um, I think that especially if the, uh, you know, uh, it, giving your money to an organization to promote positivity may be all well and good, but I think that's honestly less targeted of a message as if you were to actually do the closing down for a day because, you know, then your the community that, you know, overlaps with your community gets the message, you know, there's no way to miss that message. You're right. And I mean, technically we're talking about it right now. So yeah, true. I, but I mean, I, I think about different ways that people try to raise awareness mm-hmm. on topics, right? Like, yeah. um, wearing, wearing, you know, pink wristbands, you know, to promote or not to promote, but to promote awareness about breast cancer. Right. I mean, that promotes awareness about it, but were people really oblivious to it? And does wearing these bracelets really do anything? Whereas if you were to say, hey, here's a foundation that you can give money to that does breast cancer research. Everybody, if you have the means to do so, go donate to this foundation. And that's how we're going to promote awareness about this. I mean, there has to be some type of organization that promotes, you know, minorities and women and other disenfranchised groups in gaming that people could contribute to. And I feel like maybe the moderators of this subreddit could have promoted that instead of just shutting down for a day and i don't want to sound like i'm ungrateful for what they're trying to accomplish because i think it's phenomenal i'm just saying it's probably not the way that i would have gone about it because two two months from now i don't think a lot of people are going to remember this and i don't know if we'll have made any progress as a gaming community because on april fool's day they shut down their subreddit i don't know i guess we'll just have to find out we will have to agree to disagree for now uh, but that's been our topic of the week, Mac. Regardless, I think it's noble what these people are doing. And I'll give it back over to you, man. All right. Well, as you know, we like to take a look at some effect. Uh, sorry, some efforts that are... Wow, I am blanking. Kick or kickstart time, everybody. Wow! So uh, <laughs> we're going to post a uh, kick, uh, Kickstarter campaign. I've got the uh, link posted in the chat. Uh, those of you who wish to, go ahead and navigate to that. We will talk a little bit about of its virtues and vices, and then blah, blah. And then at the end, we'll say whether or not we think it should be kicked out of here or whether it should be kickstarted. Can you, can you do you. me a favor? Can you post it one more time? Because I didn't get the link. I didn't have it open. Absolutely. There it is. All right. 
So it is Firmament by Cyan Worlds. Now, if this sounds familiar, we have actually covered a Kickstarter by this company before. It was the Kickstarter for making the Mist 25th Anniversary Collection. And apparently, they got a taste for blood. Because they are doing something very similar along those lines. Except for instead of redoing or giving us a 25th anniversary edition remaster of Mist, they're actually making a style of, you know, uh, narrative point-and-click uh, uh, graphic adventure game in the style of Mist from scratch. And Firmament is what they're going for. So, uh, basically, if you've played Mist, if you've played Riven, then you have, you know, then you're familiar with what exactly is going on. But for those of you who aren't, there is a, a set of games that are in this style of basically having a, uh, you know, having a, a, an environment that you click around, you click through, and you solve puzzles. Sometimes the puzzles are known for being a little bit crazy, a little bit uh, on the on the crazy side, and other times they're they're kind of straightforward. But on that spectrum, Riven and Mist, I feel like have always erred to the side of uh, of somewhat obscure and ever so slightly crazy puzzles. But sometimes that's great because once you've finally solved that. Once you've finally altered the driver's license to make it look like you have a mustache and then made the mustache out of cat hair and uh, and then passed through the TSA. Um, These are the types of puzzles that you reward. have to do? That's cool. No, no. That's actually a puzzle specifically from a point-and-click adventure game that's considered to be like the worst of all time. I was going to say that's so. kind of creative, but apparently not. Anyway, I'm sorry. Oh, no, no. It's hated. Everybody hates that. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, Mist, Riven, and, of course, uh, Firmament, from the looks of it, uh, are looking to be much more in the more reasonable side of things. So, um, anyway, they're going to have VR option. Um, on this. It will be available for PC. They're looking to uh, obtain $1.28 million in order to uh, make this game the way that they want it. Uh, the plan is for the game to launch around July 2020. That's the estimated uh, delivery of the digital game. And you're looking at a $30 buy-in for the game. Um, the game design stills look quite good. Um, there are some nice proof of concept moments that show both uh, both VR and style and such. And uh, yeah, they've got some people on board to help them uh, work with it. Like the sound designer that they've got uh, has worked on World of Warcraft, Hearthstone, Starcraft 2, and Diablo 3. He's done music for that. Uh, they certainly have, uh, you know, they certainly delivered on that 25th edition of Mist, so they, they, they probably can manage something like this. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of the overview for those of you who can't take a quick look at it. Oh yes, Moon Logic was the name of those types of, uh, those types of game puzzles, Moon Logic. But, uh, but yeah, um, I think that this type of an estimate, while I would be a little skeptical under different circumstances, uh, you know, July of 2020, uh, these types of games, it, it probably can be done in that amount of time, uh, realistically. And with that much money, it definitely can be done. But, uh, but yeah, so Mr. Nice Guy, what, what do you think about it? Uh, I think it looks great. You know, it's not for me. 
but I think mm-hmm. that everything about it looks great. These people have a proven track record. Uh, I just watched a little bit of the video, and it looks like uh, they have all their all their ducks in a row, right? I think everything looks great, and I have no complaints about this. Yeah, I think it looks great as well. Um, they're not a, you know, they're not a, this isn't their first rodeo, as it were, neither with both doing this style of game as and uh, for doing a Kickstarter thing either. So they probably have a good idea of the funds that they need to make it happen the way that they want, the vision that they have in their heads. At the current moment, it's got 23 days left, and it is about halfway to its goal, a little less than halfway. Um, however... I'm not 100% sold on this. Really? For two reasons. Yeah, for two reasons. One reason is uh, is there's no playable demo, and I really want to see, because remastering a game is one thing, and making a game from scratch in the same style of the game you just remastered is that that's good. That's like, you know, a good step along the way, but... I just am not convinced. And the other thing is that the game is, you know, for uh, is for thirty dollars. Uh, What's wrong with that? That's less than sixty. Fifty dollars if you want some of the exclusive uh, content, like uh, some of the DLC, uh, because the DLC is uh, going to have, you know, three unique skins and some skinned items and some personalization options, which I'm uh, yeah, but. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like when this game comes out, it's going to come out for less than $30. Or after a very brief period of time, it'll be on sale for less than $30. And for my part, I feel like I'm willing to let them get the bugs out, and then I'll come in and play it when it's available for something a little bit more toward my impulse range. Now, Max, someone Um, just made a really good point in the chat, which is exactly what I was thinking. I don't know if you want to read that. Uh, oh, why don't you read it? So Pazzy says, our good friend Pazzy160 says, Mac, while not a demo, would you not consider abduction a decent enough proof of their ability and having a working engine? So in other words, they've made projects in the past that we know were successful. That's that's your playable demo. Okay. Maybe so. Probably. But I am still very hesitant. So I'll, I'll, I'll give them that. Yes, that's probably enough proof that they can bring it all together. But I'm still on the fence. $30. I feel like it's going to retail for $30. And if I'm going to give you the money up front, I feel like I should get just a, just a little, just a little cut down from what it's going to say, sell at retail for putting my money on the line beforehand. Not a big one, but something. I'm, I'm a strong believer in that. Why would I let you borrow my money interest-free for two years or a year and a half while you make your game and then have to, to the game come out and be the exact same price as what I put down? On the other side of the coin, though, Mac, the people who made Hollow Knight, which I think is probably mm-hmm. the best indie game of all time, uh, I don't know how much it was to pay for when you kickstarted it, but I do know that now that they're coming out with the sequel, they're providing their Kickstarters, the early adopters, with a free copy of that second game. And to put things in perspective for those of you who don't know, I put 70 hours into Hollow Knight, and I didn't even finish everything. I did finish the main game, but I didn't finish everything. So it's a big game, it's a substantial game, and now they're giving out a second one. So sometimes supporting these Kickstarters has other benefits besides just getting the game and just supporting something that you're passionate about seeing 
come to completion. True, but can I afford to take that risk, Mr. Nice? No, I'm with you, man. I, I'm completely with you. It's uh, it is a risk, and it, it's it's up to you, man. It's not for me, so I, I mean, I'm not gonna kickstart this game. But for a PC guy like you, maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah. Well, for my part, I think I'm ready to give my deliberation. I would have to say, as much as I like it, I'm going to have to say kickstart, but not with my money. Yeah, and I'm gonna because say this. It, I'm gonna say the same thing. They have a really good put together, well put together Kickstarter. Uh, the one thing I'll say, I don't like when people acknowledge that some of the money that's being donated is going to go towards food and feeding the team. We all know that, but they have one tier that's $7 or less, and it's the coffee and donut tier, and it says, thanks for helping our team stay caffeinated or something, and there's no rewards Mm -hmm. for donating that amount. So, I mean, I'm not a fan of that. I I almost feel like it's a little bit disrespectful. Um, Not that anyone who donates to a Kickstarter believes that every single penny is going towards the game, but I, I just don't like that. I think it's a bad look. But I do think that this should be kickstarted. Hmm. Yeah. Well. Um, so kickstart for both of us. Uh, we've actually got some uh, uh, got a, a kick vote in the chat, and a little bit of elaboration is that uh, while there are small devs, and this is from Pazzy, uh, while there are small devs who would need that help, as a general rule. I would mis- risk my money for no benefit, at least when some small project is making is being made. It's a passion project, and you know you're giving money because it wouldn't exist otherwise. Cyan Worlds could probably get publisher support. Yeah, especially asking so. for $1.2 million, and they're going to get there, Mac. They have 23 days left, and they're halfway there. Yeah, they're going to get there. I feel like, yeah, this is... I mean, I... Uh, Pazzy's definitely given us food for thought about their ability to obtain money um, from, you know, from normal things instead of trying to go, you know, instead of trying to go through Kickstarter and crowdfund. But, uh, but, well, uh, it looks like uh, for the most part, most of us are saying Kickstart on this one. So, uh, so it looks like it, it passes, but not uncontestedly. And that is our kick or kickstart for today. Back to you, Mr. Nice. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it's time for the main event. It's time for the Dummy of the Week. Week, week, week. A segment of the show where we talk about someone who did something stupid, idiotic, or downright dumb, and make fun of them. Uh, This week's story comes from sbsun.com, and it says, Sheriff's investigators were searching for an Orange County couple who they said attacked and robbed a Yukaipa that's the name of the city, computer hobbyist on Monday. The 25-year-old victim buys and sells computers and parts online, San Bernardino County Sheriff's officials said. The owners of Step Ahead Computers have allowed the man to work on computers inside the store and let him meet his buyers at the location. Matt Kilby, 24, of Laguna Beach or San Juan Capistrano, had bought computer parts from the Yucapa man in the past and contacted him about buying a video game tower, investigators said. They agreed on a $3,300 for the tower, and Kilby said he would send his girlfriend, Elizabeth Henry, also 24, and of the same geographical area, to pick up the hardware, officials said. Henry and the victim met at Step Ahead Monday. She asked him if he could remove the graphics card so she could send a picture of it to Kilby, according to authorities. Henry then said she was going to step outside to take a photo. So this is the first red flag, because... 
First of all, if you're buying a computer, why would you send someone who's not an expert in computers to pick it up and to inspect it? That should have been red flag for the victim number one. Red flag hey, number... and uh, some people have to work. I understand, but if you're going to build a $3,300 computer, don't you think you'd want to pick it up and inspect it yourself? Yeah. And, and the only reason that I know that she's not an expert in computers is because she asked to take the graphics card out. Oh, and by the way, if I built a computer for someone and they showed up, or, or they sent someone as a delegate to show up and look at it, and that person said, hey, can you take some pieces out of it? I would say, no, I cannot do that because there's a chance it could get damaged and also static, right? You don't want to be touching those things and pulling them out. It can damage it, right? Um, so it, it says the victim feared she... Oh, and by the way, when she said, I want to take a picture and, and do it outside the store, red flag number three. The victim feared she might steal the card, which was valued at $700, so he followed her outside, investigators said. As he stepped outside... He was confronted by Kilby, the guy who had sent his girlfriend to look at it, who authorities said grabbed the victim by the throat and began striking the Yukaipa man. Kilby then ran. The victim chased Kilby across Yukaipa Boulevard, and he eventually got into a vehicle that the sheriff's officials said Henry was driving. This all happened very quickly. So this guy ran, and then his girlfriend, who had been in the store, somehow had a getaway car that they met up at. I, I don't understand how this is working. Um, the victim was not seriously injured in the attack. Witnesses recorded Kilby as he ran through the area. The witnesses then followed the couple's vehicle. They were given to the, the investigators. They gave investigators a photograph of the vehicle, a black Scion FRS sports car with California plate. Um, also, Mac, why do people insist on stealing stuff from someone that they've done business with in the past? It's like, I know your name. I have your phone number. I've shipped you some stuff in the past, so I know your address. So why are you going to try to steal from me? Also, why would you try to steal only a graphics card? Like, you would make someone go through all the trouble of building that computer and be like, you know what, I'm going to make them build it, and then I'm going to just steal the graphics card. You look like you might have an answer to that. Um, well, graphics cards, depending upon... <clears throat> um, uh, did it say when about in time this happened? This was uh, recent, This is right? very recent. Like, six hours ago, this story was posted. Gotcha. So, I mean, like, at certain points in time, the graphics cards had been incredibly hard for people to get their hands on because they were using, people were using um, graphics cards to mine bitcoins. And that led to a huge shortage, I want to say, a year or two ago of graphics cards, of good graphics cards, that is. So, um, I could see this happening then where someone, you know, was just like, here, build me this thing, oh, and then snags the graphics card and runs. But why, why wouldn't but, he just say, hey, I need a new graphics card? Not only was he stealing from this guy, he was wasting his time having him build a PC. It's confusing to me. I don't know. Ah, maybe. To each their but, own. Uh, that's been yeah. our Dummy of the Week, Mac. Back over to you, buddy. All right. Well, we're going to uh, take a quick look at uh, not a lawsuit that's going on right now in our legalese. Legalese segment today, but rather in something that happened a little while ago. Now, I know that a constant, uh, shall we say, punching bag for legalese, as well as uh, uh, this uh, you know, podcast in general, happens to be um, Jack Thompson, or as Wikipedia calls him, John Bruce Thompson, that's his name, is an American activist and disbarred attorney. 
um, uh, which I think is kind of, I wish we could get that disbarred attorney a bit higher up in the uh, in the definition of, uh, of Jack Thompson here. But, uh, but we're going to talk a little bit about an amusing uh, situation in, in an, or around 2006. Um, Jack Thompson, a person who's always been known to keep a level head with regard to video games, uh, forward slash S, um, he around uh, 2000 and end of 2005 uh, sent a, you know, had an open letter and he sent it to members of the press, to the ESA, uh, things like that. And he asked basically um, people, he asked game uh, makers to uh, create, manufacture, and distribute and sell a video game in the year 2006 that allows players to kill video game developers. Um, so he was basically like, hey, if you guys make a video game that allows people to kill you in a video game, uh, to run you down in the street, to shoot you and all that jazz, I will give $10,000 to the charity of your choice, whoever it is who makes and sells this video game. Um, not surprisingly, it was not that long until people did exactly that and gave him exactly what he requested. Um, a video game where you could kill the very developers who built the game. Um, he decided not to carry through with his promise to donate $10,000 to charity. Um, you know, uh, he did back out and say, well, it was, it was satire. My, my, my letter was, was satire. I'm not donating $10,000. Um, I'll just read, uh, a, a couple of, uh, a couple of, of, I think the most appropriate, uh, lines about this. And that is that, uh, that, Penny Arcade. I mean, we're familiar with them based out of the Seattle area. Uh, they are, of course, the people who made packs possible. Uh, they themselves donated the promised $10,000 to charity on Jack Thompson's behalf. Uh, they donated the money under Thompson's name to the ESA, the Entertainment Software Association. Uh, the charity, or sorry, the Entertainment Software Association Foundation, which is the charity that is a part, you know, part of the ESA. Um, they, uh, Jack Thompson uh, did tell them, uh, Penny Arcade, as well as uh, several other news agencies, that this, uh, that these, you know, this donation has, they have to stop talking about it immediately. Articles need to be taken down about this, quote, or else, because this is defamation. Um, so the check was presented to the ESA Foundation during a fundraising dinner. In the memo line on this big old check, the it read for Jack Tom for and on behalf of Jack Thompson because Jack Thompson won't do it himself. So um, he, he did actually, I believe, try to uh, try to sue in Washington, but uh, it kind of basically got laughed out of court. So while not especially, um, while not especially uh, heavy on the legal bits, it is still pretty hilarious that uh, that a guy like this just keeps on falling for the bait over and over again and keeps on owning himself over and over again. Uh, disbarred attorney Jack, Dun Jack Thompson, you are a never-ending source of amusement, and don't ever change. 
That should have maybe been our Dummy of the Week segment. Well, it would have, but this happened back in 2006. Ah, and, true. Uh, so you know, it's that's, not relevant. That's, that's a little old. Not as, uh, not as current, right? Got it. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, that has been our show. But before we go, we like to do one last segment called What We've Been Watching and What We've Been Playing. And you play an important part in that segment. We want you to let us know in the chat all the nerdy, cool stuff that you've been watching and playing on Netflix, on YouTube, on your Retro Pie, on your PlayStation, on your Xbox, on your Switch, on whatever uh, streaming services you're into, because we're always looking for cool, nerdy stuff to get into. So, Mac, I'll let you know what I've been into, man. Walking Dead, homie. Getting caught up on that Season 9, and I will say it's really good. They've really found a way to keep it fresh, and I can't really tell you too much without spoiling it, because I know you may want to get caught up at some point. Um, But there were some, you know, in every season there's significant events, and you think, oh, is the show ever going to be the same? And they've kept it popping. So props to them for that. That's all I'll say. Um, still watching Designated Survivor. Really, really good. Um, filling the void that Madam Secretary left since there's no new episodes of that. And uh, re-watching some Marvel movies. Getting getting excited for that new Avengers that's going to be coming out later this month. Um, there were a couple new episodes posted on one of my favorite YouTube channels. Uh, which is, it's a channel I've talked about on here before about this guy who basically collects arcade machines. It's called Arcade Impossible on YouTube. I love it. It's a really, really cool channel. So I've been getting caught up and watching some old episodes there. As far as what I've been playing, um, I've really been into Call of Duty lately, which it was never my thing in the in the past few years. But I mean, I've been playing Remastered, Modern Warfare Remastered, playing Black Ops 3, uh, playing Black Ops 4 on Xbox, and now that it's free on PlayStation 4, the Black Ops mode, I'll be playing that on PS4 tonight. Uh, and that's pretty much it, Mac. How about you, man? Well, for my part, the missus and I have been watching a show called Shit's Creek. Um, it's... Uh, um, what's his name? His name's Eugene... Eugene uh, Levi, I believe his name is. He's an actor. He's got the big old eyebrows, like caterpillars on his on his you know above his eyes um i'm trying to think of other movies he's been in uh i think i think he's in american pie um and you know anyway he tends to be a a background uh, you know a, a secondary character supporting character in a lot of things but uh but he's kind of the lead in this one and it is delightful um so mrs the mac and i've been watching that she has been playing a lot of chasm um she's truly addicted to that game which is fantastic just means i don't get to use my computer as much as i'd like but that's okay that's okay sacrifices must be made um and uh yeah that's pretty much it uh aside from working now i have been watching i've been catching up on some episodes of critical role um that's uh what is that dungeons and it's uh dungeons and dragons basically these voice actors are playing Dungeons and Dragons, and uh, it's fantastic. It's really good. It's really good viewing. Um, it's not a surprise that these guys are kind of the rock stars of the tabletop RPG world, and so I've been watching some of their back stuff, trying to uh, trying to get into it, and also trying to pick up some, uh, you know, pick up some tips for how I myself can weave a better narrative in a tabletop RPG setting. Um, both as a you know dungeon master as well as a player, so uh, so it's been in quite fun. Uh, but that's about it for me. Now I'll just uh, 
quickly throw out some of the stuff that other folks have been watching and playing. Nice. Um, we have, let's see. Ah, Spenis confirms that uh, Eugene Levy from uh, from American Pie. Let's see. For games, we've got MLB The Show uh, 19, Spyro 2, um, watching stand-up comedy, and Up, Up, Down, Down is a YouTube channel. Let's see. Getting back in. Patty sees getting back into Borderlands. Um, and also, uh, Risk of Rain 2 just released in early access. Oh, he got a uh, copy from a friend, which is awesome. Uh, he's also been watching Stranger Things Season 2 and was surprised how enjoyable it was. I will say the one thing I had against Stranger Things 2 is that I felt like Episode 7, The Lost Sister, needed to come after Episode 8. I felt like we, you know, the action was really high at the end of episode six, and then episode seven, the action's real low, and then we get back up into episode eight, and the action picks up right where it was, but it was hard to get that intensity back after having, you know, left out. And of course, these things were supposed to be designed with binging in mind, so I really feel like for optimal Stranger Things season two um, enjoyment, you should go one, two, three, four, five, six eight, seven, nine, and so on. Yeah, because you don't have uh, a week between episodes. Exactly. We don't, uh, you know, we're going to be binging it. So that, you know, level of intensity, you know, it, I think it's best if you keep it up. And of course, I think the 11 story li- side story, um, while absolutely vital to the series itself, really ought to come as a, you know, in general, as sort of a flashback. But that's just that's just one man's take. Uh, keep in mind, they don't actually pay me to do any of this, so my opinions are, you know, just that. Opinions and pra- probably of no workable practical value. Nerdy opinions, which is what we like. Uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thanks so much for tuning in to episode... Number 98 of Two Nerds in a Pod, the nerdiest gaming podcast in the galaxy. I'm Lom, also known as Mr. Nice Guy. My comrade Mac here is with me. We'll be back next week here on twitch.tv backslash Two Nerds in a Pod. 9 p.m. Central, 8 p.m. Mountain Time. Same bat place, same bat rhymes. I just messed that up, Mac. Same bat place, same bat time, same bat rhymes. Keep it nerdy, y'all. Deuces. <laughs>